This week on Geek Explained, we're featuring the evolution of Dick Grayson as he goes from sidekick to solo act. So join us on this edition of the Geek Explained Spotlight as we cover Nightwing Year One. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is another edition of the Geek Explain Spotlight. That is the segment that we have every single month where we spotlight a specific graphic novel, a specific storyline in comics, whether it's DC, Marvel, whatever. We take the time, we break it down, tell you all about it, and why you should be reading it. And this month, we're taking a look at Nightwing Year One, one of my personal favorite stories. This is in honor of Titans returning to uh, to DC Universe with its second season. I wanted to do like a Teen Titans uh, esque episode when it comes to the Geek Explained Spotlight this month, but as I kept going through, this story kept just popping up to me. And rereading it again, I had to talk about it and I had to make it this month's spotlight. So that is our main focus this week. We've also got our weekly review on the next episode of The Boys, as well as this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get to all of that, let's jump into this week's news. Alright guys and gals, we've got some news to talk about this week. Not a whole lot, but the stuff we do have to talk about I think is pretty uh, pretty interesting. So starting off with comics news, uh, it has been revealed that Tom Taylor is going to be rebooting the uh, Suicide Squad comic that's kind of been in limbo for a while. Uh, it had a pretty strong start in DC Rebirth, but ever since... I would say probably about a year ago, the book has just been kind of not there. So um, I'm really excited about it. Tom Taylor is a killer writer. If you haven't been reading Deceased, he's been doing a great job with that book. So I would definitely take the time and check this out. Jumping over to TV news, we have official confirmation that the new Warriors TV show has been scrapped. I bet that isn't a name that you've heard in a while. And uh, I want to say it was like sometime last year, for those of you who don't know, uh, the New Warriors was announced for Marvel. They were looking at uh, basically partnering with Freeform to put together this TV show. And it's kind of similar to like Marvel's take on the Teen Titans. The New Warriors uh, had characters like Speedball, um, the Immortal Man, not the Immortal Man, what is his name? I can't remember. Uh, and Squirrel Girl, but... Oh, and Nighthawk as well. And this show, 
actually like had a cast they filmed a pilot and then it just kind of disappeared i was really excited because i was uh I was really excited about the casting for Squirrel Girl. It was the girl who used to be uh, the AT&T girl in the shows. She was always really funny and quirky in the AT&T uh, commercials. And I was really excited when I saw that she was cast for uh, Squirrel Girl because that's a perfect quirky character. Um, so I'm kind of sad about this. This is uh, a big blow to that, to uh, D uh, Disney and Marvel trying to kind of branch out with their... Uh, characters, the new warriors, I think nowadays are really kind of only known for uh, in the comics sparking the uh, inciting incident for the Civil War in the comics. They were the ones who had like a reality TV show and they were hunting down Nitro and, you know, them attacking him caused him to blow up. Uh, killing a bunch of people and kind of sparking the whole debate on superhero registration. So that's really nowadays what they're known for. They were um, pretty big, I would say, in the mid to late 90s. But I was really excited for these uh, characters to show up and kind of shine a light on more obscure characters. I really enjoy Speedball as a character. I've been a big fan of his for a while. He actually got a big arc in uh, Civil War when he became Penance. Real big character shift for him. He went from kind of the goofy, uh, almost impulse-like character into this like dark and brooding person trying to atone for uh, his perceived crimes. And I thought it was really interesting. And I would have been interested to see if they went like the reality TV show route with them, kind of like what they did recently with the West Coast Avengers book, which is amazing, and you should pick it up if you haven't. Uh, it's all done, so pick up the trade. But... This kind of sucks because I apparently they finished the pilot. Freeform backed out. They tried to shop it around to other places. Um, I think at one point a new pilot was ordered that they never finished filming, and then they just scrapped the entire thing completely. Even Disney Plus, even Disney Plus, their own home network wouldn't pick it up. So that I guess you know kind of says something for the quality of it and what it would have been if it had actually uh, been produced. But still, it, it sucks for all the people who put their time into making that pilot. Jumping over to miscellaneous news, uh, NXT, if you're a wrestling fan, if you're not, I'm sorry, uh, NXT officially goes live this Wednesday, which is today as of uh, release. I'm, of course, recording this uh, a little bit earlier in the week, but really excited about this. It's a weird format. Uh, the, for this week and next week, NXT is going to have its first hour uh, live on the USA Network, and then its second hour is going to be uh, live on the WWE Network. It's going to be for the first two weeks, and then co coincidentally enough, on October 2nd, it officially goes live for both hours on the USA Network. If you're a wrestling fan, if you are excited about the potential of the Wednesday Night Wars, I would definitely take a close eye at these next two episodes because they've got a lot to prove getting us into the zone to kind of pick NXT over AEW when it debuts on uh, TNT on October 2nd. So I'm really interested. Definitely going to check that out. But the big news this week, whether you're a fan of anime, whether you're a fan of trading card games, whether you're a fan of Nintendo, whether you're a fan of old school 90s nostalgia, 
The big news this week was that Ash Ketchum of Pokemon fame has finally won a championship. That's right, you heard it correctly. This made the news. This was on CNN. This was covered by CNN. Ash Ketchum has been chasing championships since God knows how long since the original run of the Pokemon series, which will never die. It's going to outlive all of us. Once the apocalypse happens, Armageddon strikes, and everyone's dead, there will be two things that will be continuing on Jeopardy and Pokemon, the animated series. So... I think that this is really cool because I I was a kid back in the 90s and early 2000s that was also obsessed with anime, uh, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, all of the trading card stuff, all of the Game Boy Color games. I personally started off with the red version of uh, Game Boy Color. I, I love that this is so important to people because Ash Ketchum has been chasing throughout the seasons of the Pokemon uh, animated series, he has been chasing a championship. He started off in Kanto, went to Johto, and continued on, and he could never get into a championship spot. He, I think he made the top 16 in the first championship. He went to the top eight and he progressively like went up further in the ranks. Then he dropped down to like, I think at one point he was like top four. Then he dropped back down to top eight. And then in the last league that he was in, he made it to the final and he lost. He got second place. He was runner up. But finally in the Alola championship the alola league championship ash ketchum has finally won the big one he has been fighting for this for 22 years even though he's still 10 years old technically i guess and we here at geek explain just want to say congratulations to ash ketchum now good luck defending that title so that i I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that this finally happened and that so many people, uh, Pokemon trainers and fans of all ages, are able to kind of breathe a sigh of relief and know that Ash Ketchum finally uh, did what he set out to do from the very first episode. But I have to say, Red is still better. Personally, just me. That's just my opinion. We're going to move on to film news this week. So we've got some uh, pretty big film news, I think. Uh, first off, Mortal Kombat, the new Mortal Kombat film that is being uh, developed live action, uh, officially started production this past week. I think it's super quick because they haven't actually like finished announcing all their cast. Maybe they have cast everybody. Uh, there's a lot of people that are in the cast that aren't really... They're... Uh, what's it called their official roles haven't been announced yet but they started filming they started filming already so i'm excited for them that's going to be really cool uh in other film news we got the very first uh poster for the birds of prey film we got a teaser of it last week that i was pretty excited to talk about and this week we got a poster so the poster is pretty i would say pretty standard but very uh colorful we are seeing of course that harley quinn is front and center the uh uh, the, f the full title is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Uh, it's got 
Harley Quinn dead center with her new pixie cut look, uh, looking very, I would say, 90s Harley, where she was more like kind of cutesy. And we've got all of the supporting cast kind of floating around her with little birds. Like, you remember in those old cartoons when a uh, character would get let's just say it concussed uh you would see like the birds like floating around their head that's kind of what this reminded me of uh it's very colorful very vibrant we see renee montoya huntress victor zaz black canary cassandra kane black mask and even a mini version of harley herself floating around harley's head with uh all different kinds of wings we're seeing some version of the costumes that are going to be present on the characters but I think it's really strange that none of them are featuring, like, signature looks, like looks that you would inherently associate with them, except for maybe Black Mask, because he's always kind of been pictured in a white suit, and Ewan McGregor is in this in a full white suit, but he doesn't have the mask on, he's just got black gloves. Um, Huntress, you would never know that's Huntress, um, if you didn't already know. Uh, Victor Zaz doesn't really have, I'm looking at the poster right now he doesn't really have any scars his signature scars he does have his knife so that's fine renee montoya does have her signature blue color which i guess works cassandra kane looks nothing like cassandra kane i really need them to do cassandra kane justice um because all the stuff that i've seen of her so far don't say cassandra kane to me uh even harley quinn is looking very um I don't even know how to describe it, like Rave Girl uh, in her look on this poster. And then Black Canary doesn't look anything like Black Canary. You wouldn't know that was Black Canary if you didn't already know. Um, there's no like leather, no, there's no like biker jacket, no fishnets, um, which is not to say that, you know, she can't not wear fishnets, but like I, that's an iconic look for the character. So I'm surprised that they didn't go that route with this poster, especially because not a not like the mainstream, the large uh, majority of the audience is not going to know these characters initially. They're going to have to be introduced to these characters throughout this process. But overall, I think the, uh, the poster looks fine. I'm not offended by the poster. It looks good. I think it's going to be a good film. I'm hoping. I'm really... Really hoping, so we will uh, we'll see. Uh, next up in film news, we got, I think it's really strange, but um, we got official confirmation that Robert Downey Jr. will be reprising his role in Black Widow. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is going to be playing uh, Tony Stark in Black Widow. I don't know why. I don't know why we need this. It's way too soon, at least for me. Um, maybe people are like, oh my god, Robert Downey Jr., let's have him back already. And it's just fine, but I just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. I think him showing up so soon really diminishes the impact of his death in, in uh, Endgame. And I guess there's something to be said about um, Black Widow, you know, starring in a feature film on her own or her first solo film and probably her only solo film um after she died but i think there's a certain amount of like stretching you can do with that to make that okay um we'll just have to see we'll have to see exactly what this is um uh, there's rumors right now that it's just going to be repurposed footage from civil war because apparently this film takes place post civil war before infinity war which i don't think is a good idea i still think my bright idea was to have it show up um 
was to have this film take place in the five years between Infinity War and Endgame. But we'll just have to see. We'll have to see exactly what comes out of this. We still don't have an, like an actual trailer, but um, I'm not I'm not thrilled about Robbie Downey Jr. coming back already. But the big news for this week, the big news that I want to talk about here is James Gunn. James Gunn tweeted out a picture, but not just any picture. James Gunn tweeted out the official cast list for The Suicide Squad, which he is doing in part or uh, in partnership with Warner Brothers and DC. This is kind of like a soft reboot, kind of like a sequel. We're not sure exactly yet. Uh, there's no there's been no word on exactly how this is going to fit in relation to the previous film, but we got a full cast list, and my favorite part about all this, we got the OG original logo for the Suicide Squad way back when it was first uh, first debuted in comics in the 80s. I'm really excited about this. This the The whole logo looks amazing. Really excited about that. Let's talk about this cast list because it's... It's a good amount of people. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, six times four. It's twenty-four names on this list, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about them. We're gonna talk about them, uh, whether or not I'm familiar with them or not, and uh, we're just gonna go one by one. So starting at the top left here, if you want to follow along the graphic, feel free to do so. Uh, starting off. At the top left here, it's Davis Das Malkian. I know I said his name wrong, and I apologize. But um, he's popped up in a lot of stuff. He's popped up in pretty much every single superhero property there is. He was in Gotham. He was in uh, The Flash. He was in um, Ant-Man and the Wasp and the first Ant-Man film. He's hilarious in that. And now he is making the jump over to... The Suicide Squad. I'm not sure exactly what his character is going to be, but I like him. He's a great character actor, and I'm really looking forward to it. Next big name here, John Cena. I, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna play his theme. I'm not gonna do it. But I am kind of really excited about this. Part of me really hopes that they're gonna be going up against Amazo, and I want him to play Amazo so bad because he would be perfect. But really excited about this. Uh, John Cena has been really working on his uh, his film resume, just jumping from every genre that he can. Uh, the latest casting for him was in Fast 9, I think it's 9, um, where he's going to be acting opposite Vin Diesel and the whole crew there. So really excited for him, and I'm excited that he finally gets to break into comic book movies since people have been uh, campaigning for him to be in a comic book movie for a long time. Next up, we have Jai Courtney. My boy, Captain Boomerang's back. He was my favorite character out of the first Suicide Squad movie, and I'm so excited that he's back. But him being so far up and not a so far up and away from you know the main event talent i would say that's near the bottom really worries me i don't want him to die i want him to continue living through this film we will see but again really excited about captain boomerang uh joaquin cosio i'm gonna go with that uh i'm not familiar with him i'm assuming he's uh he's a i've heard that he's a south american actor so we'll see uh, going straight down from there, now going from right to left in the second row, Flula Borg. Uh, Flula is a YouTuber who has kind of parlayed that into a film career. The last thing I think I saw him in was one of the Pitch Perfect sequels, 
and he's fine. Uh, he's funny, though, so I'm excited to see what he does in the film. Next up, we have Mei Ling Ning. It's, oh, it bothers me so much because I'm Asian and I don't know how to pronounce just the NG last name. Um, for those of you who do know how to pronounce that, please shout it at me as you're listening to this episode so I can hear it. Um, not familiar with her. Uh, we're going to move on. Uh, Joel Kinnaman. Joel Kinnaman played Rick Flagg in the first Suicide Squad movie. So good to see him back. Rick Flagg is a prominent Suicide Squad member. And next up we have Nathan Fillion. We got official confirmation that Nathan Fillion has joined the cast. I don't know who he's playing. Uh, I talked about on uh, a previous episode that I would love to see him play uh, Clayface. Specifically, the um, the Basil Carlo version of the character, I had to remember his name, uh, who is a failed actor who kind of got turned into Clayface. I would love to see that, um, but you know he's going to do great in whatever role they give him. Going straight down from there, we have Sean Gunn. You knew Sean Gunn was going to pop up. He always shows up in a James Gunn joint. And I'm excited to see him here. I really enjoyed him uh, as Kraglin in the Guardians movies. Not sure where this puts him in relation to that, uh, which we will also talk about in another name as we come to it. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see where he where he kind of slots in there. Next up, we have Juan Diego Boto. Boto. I'm sorry. Um, not really familiar with uh, his work, but looking forward to it. Storm Reed is up next. Really cool name. Not familiar with their work. Uh, so we're going to move on. Uh, and I apologize for all people who are fans of the people I'm kind of glossing over. I just, I'm not familiar with their stuff. But I will do my due diligence in leading up to the film to do my research on these people. Uh, next up, we have Pete Davidson of SNL fame, also of nearly married Ariana Grande fame, I guess. Uh, funny guy, really looking forward to it. Good friends with uh, John Mulaney, who I am a huge fan of. So uh, looking forward to it. He should bring some laughs. Going down next, we have Tanache Kajis. Kajisi? Kajese? I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if this is like Tinashe the singer? I I'm just I'm I'm gonna look it up. I am gonna look it up. So I am looking, I'm vamping as I look through Kajese. Um I am Googling this right now. This is the nice part about being able to have a laptop and being able to look this stuff up. Um Big fan of that. Broadway. No, does not look like the same person. But uh, just looking at her IMDb right now, uh, she is a. She's originally from Zimbabwe. She has a musical theater background, and she has recently been in uh, Valor, the TV series. I'm trying to look for something that I've seen. Oh, she's been in Powers. Uh, she's been in Cold Case, Superstore. So she's got some stuff. She's got some credits. Uh, looking forward to seeing what she does. Next up, we have uh, next to her, Steve Agee. I don't know. I'm going to look him up too. So let's, let's do this. Let's vamp. Looking up Steve Agee. I know that I have heard of him before. I know that I have probably seen something he's been in. 
Uh, it's probably a James Gunn thing. I'm looking up his IMDb right now, and it looks like, come on, and it looks like, oh, yeah, 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 I know who this is. Uh, so he's been in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, he's been in New Girl, so he's he's been a voice on Adventure Time, so he's a pretty... Uh, well-known comedy actor, I would say. So I'm looking forward to it. James Gunn is loading up with comedy actors, so that's nice. Uh, next up, we have Alice Braga. Not familiar with her work. Uh, next to her, we have Taika Waititi, which is not a name I expected a lot of people uh, were expecting to see. I definitely wasn't expecting it. So I'm excited. Taika is just killing it right now. Uh, his film, Jojo Rabbit, just won Best Film at TIFF, the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. So really, really excited for him. And it looks like he, along with James Gunn and probably Sean Gunn, is going to be doing double duty with uh, DC and Marvel jumping into... Uh, Suicide Squad. I don't know exactly if it's going to be like a mocap thing like he did with uh, Korg or if he's going to be uh, specifically um, live action. We're going to have to see. But either way, he is going to be hilarious. And I am really, really excited to see what he does. Uh, going straight down from there, from his name, we have Daniela Melchior. I'm not familiar with her really at all but i'm just gonna move over because i'm really excited about the name next to her peter capaldi uh we heard rumor that he was joining the cast very soon and to see his name on here i'm really excited we've seen i guess he did an interview or he posted up something on social media where he was saying that he had to shave his head and had some kind of face prosthetics so some people are thinking um mr freeze which would be really really cool i think it would be hilarious if he was the clock king i think peter capaldi formerly the 13th or the 12th doctor playing the clock king would be hilarious and if he doesn't play the clock king i am going to be very disappointed so um we will see we'll see exactly what he does um I'm just, I'm really excited about Peter Capaldi. I love his stuff. So we'll see uh, where he goes and where he kind of fits in the team. Next to him is Julio Ruiz. I'm not familiar with his work. Um, so we're going to move on to Jennifer Holland. Uh, Holland is, I believe, James Gunn's girlfriend. So she uh, appeared, she was in Brightburn. Uh, she was also in American Horror Story recently as well. She kind of shows up in his films. So um, I'm not surprised to see her in this. I'm kind of surprised to see her so close to like our quote unquote main event talent. But um, yeah. Below her, we have Michael Rooker, who is also making the jump, but just like another character that we're going to be, or another actor we're going to be talking about in a second, uh, his character in the MCU, Yondu, is deceased, which opens the door for him to jump into the realm of DC. I'm excited. I don't know who he's playing, but you know that he's going to bring his A game and you know he's going to be hilarious. Next to him, we have Margot Robbie, who is doing. Uh, Harley Quinn, I'm assuming, again, uh, coming off of the first Suicide Squad movie. I think I'm going to put this out there. I think we are all going to kind of look back on this phase, on this uh, era when it comes to DC films. And we're going to look back on this as the Harley Quinn trilogy. 
That sounds weird, but if you think about it, we have the first Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. We have the first Suicide Squad movie. Then we're gonna have Birds of Prey, and then we're gonna have the Suicide Squad. So for me, with her featuring in all three of those, I feel comfortable that at some point we're going to refer to this whole. Uh, sorted event as the Harley Quinn trilogy uh, with all of her supporting cast in various films um, but she did really well in the first Suicide Squad movie and I'm interested to see what James Gunn does with her character specifically especially since this is seemingly going to take place after Birds of Prey rolling timelines and uh, comics continuity being what they are who knows but uh, we'll see Next to her is Idris Elba, who, just like Michael Rooker, has left the MCU with uh, with Heimdall being killed in Ragnarok, or no, not Ragnarok, um, in Infinity War, and now he is jumping into DC. I really hope that he is playing Bronze Tiger, because that character is incredible. If you don't know about that character, feel free to request that character, and I'll be doing... I would love to do an episode on that character, because he's very, very interesting. Um, he's fantastic. Idris Elba is an incredible actor. A lot of people were kind of pegging him to be uh, Jon Stewart in the upcoming, whenever it comes out, uh, Green Lantern Corps movie, but... I think him being in this is cool, and I'm excited to see what role he plays. And then finally, we have our girl Amanda Waller, Viola Davis, rounds out the cast. Uh, she absolutely killed it. Viola Davis is an incredible actress, and she rocked it as uh, Amanda Waller in the first Suicide Squad movie. So I'm really excited to see exactly what they do with her here. Now, James Gunn tweeted this out, and... Uh, captioned it, don't get too attached. So we should probably see a good 75% of this cast be killed off. Um, I'm, I'm, real, I'm really pulling for my boy Captain Boomerang to make it through. He made it through mostly unscathed in the first one, which worries me a little bit for this one, along with him being so uh, far away from the, uh, the heavy hitters at the bottom of the list. But I hope that James Gunn sees as much value in him as a character and in Jai Courtney as an actor as I do, and we will have a Captain Boomerang party when this film comes out. So that is going to do it for this week's news. Let me know what you think about any of the stuff that we talked about here. Uh, you can do so on social media at GeekSplainedPod. That's at GeekSplainedPod on Twitter and Instagram. Or through emails to uh, GeekSplained at gmail.com. But for now, we're going to head on over to the main event of this podcast. The main course. The entree, if you will. Which is our GeekSplained Spotlight on Nightwing. Year one. You know what I missed most about running with you? The toys. Stay sharp. We're not done. You want to dance? Let's dance. Is that gonna hold? No. So you want me to? Should I? Okay. I'll just take care of this. I want to take everyone back to the year 2005. This was the year that brought us Star Wars, Episode 3, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, 
War of the Worlds, Batman Begins, as well as the year that Carrie Underwood won American Idol. It was the year that Guitar Hero came out. This is the year that CSI was all the rage and Clint Eastwood won Best Picture and Best Director for Million Dollar Baby. It was also the year that YouTube was born. But this year was significant for one other thing, and that is a little comic called Nightwing Year One. This was a comic that changed my life when I first read it. I loved this comic dearly. I still do. And in preparing for this episode of the podcast, I reread it and I still love it. It still holds up today. So that is why it is the focus of this month's Geek Explained Spotlight. The Geek Explained Spotlight is our segment every month where we spotlight a specific graphic novel or story arc like this uh, that I think is incredible. Our first uh, edition of this was Spider-Man Blue. Last month we did a we did an episode on Batman The Long Halloween which featured special guest Andrew Kincaid and this month we are doing Nightwing Year One. Uh, this was one of probably one of my favorite comics of all time when it comes from the DC brand. Uh, I've always been a big Nightwing fan. I still think, and you can quote me on this, that Dick Grayson is the single greatest comic book character that has ever been. Bar none, hands down, he's the one. Uh, and this comic goes a long way to tell people why that is. Now, this comic was, I'm going to get the creative team right out of the way because I want to talk about how good they are and how good this story is. Uh, Nightwing Year One was a six-issue story uh, encompassing Nightwing issue 101 through 106. It was written by both Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty with art by Scott McDaniel and Andy Owens. You can tell it's a Scott Dan McDaniel book by, by the blocky art, which I know for some people is a big turnoff, but for me, uh, the writing kind of elevates the art in that way. I'm a big visual reader, but in this way, I think for me, this book was really, really brought up high by the writing. And this is a classic coming-of-age tale. Uh, Nightwing has been in the uh, public mind for a long time now. Uh, he is experiencing kind of a renaissance at this point, what with all the talk of the new uh, DCEU and all of the stuff that goes along with that, with the reboot of The Batman with uh, Robert Pattinson and... Um, all the potential for Robin coming out with that, as well as the Titans show that's on the DC Universe streaming service and app. Uh, Titans Season 2 has debuted this past, uh, what was I like, a week ago, two weeks ago, as of this recording. And this season is supposed to show the birth of Nightwing. And if they do anything near the quality of this book they're going to be in good hands and it's going to be received really well. Now, this story I really wanted to talk about because I I just love Nightwing as a character. He's a character that I grew up with, that I feel like I actually literally grew up with. I was a big fan of his. I was kind of tuned into the character through the Batman the Animated Series, and uh, I immediately latched on to Robin as a character. It was my first... Uh, the first 
episode of Batman the Animated Series I ever saw was Robin's Reckoning. Uh, we talked about that in last week's episode, which we uh, chronicled the top 10 Batman the Animated Series episodes. If you haven't checked it out, please do so. It's one of my favorite episodes and is talking about one of my favorite topics, which is Batman the Animated Series. But this book shows the progression from Robin into Nightwing and kind of condenses it in a... Uh, really easy to read format featuring a whole bevy of different supporting characters some of my favorites in fact and i ah i absolutely love it it's one of my favorites and for a lot of people to transition to nightwing was kind of jarring uh we had seen back in the uh old teen titans book or i guess it was the new teen titans at the time um he had started to kind of get tired, Dick Grayson did, of uh, being Robin. He was in college now, still still wearing the pixie boots and tights. And as we headed into the Judas Contract storyline, uh, the writers really wanted to kind of revamp him and give him a new identity all his own. Plus, they were kind of, DC was kind of toying with the idea of giving Batman a new Robin. And so the Nightwing persona was born, where Nightwing stepped out in this beautifully 70s costume. The only, the only era that could have birthed a costume this incredible. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Disco Wing and you will see exactly what I mean. Um, it might be my favorite Nightwing costume. It's not the best but it might be my favorite. Uh, and this book goes a long way to really give that jump from Robin to Nightwing more depth. We see uh, a kid who is struggling with this idea of identity, with the idea of moving uh, forward in his life, of leaving a past persona, of returning to the past and learning from it so that he can embrace his future. And you get in each chapter, in each um of the six chapters we have here, you see him grow a little bit more and a little bit more every single time. So uh, I'm gonna give you like a brief rundown of each chapter. I'm not gonna go beat by beat, but I really wanted to give you kind of set the stage for this because this is an incredible story. There is going to be spoilers, so I'm gonna let you know that now. If you uh, want to read the book without any spoilers, feel free to pause this, go read the book. You can find it on Comixology. Um, they have the entire collection on there. Feel free to do that and then come back. Or if you don't care about spoilers, let's discuss. So the first chapter kind of entails the night that Robin essentially dies. So we see uh, a Robin who at this point is starting to get frustrated with his role as Robin. He's been with the Teen Titans for a while. That is kind of taking him away from Batman at times. And that really, uh, his time with the Teen Titans really impacts the story here, specifically at the beginning of our uh, whole Nightwing saga here, where Batman is facing off against Clayface, and Robin is late because he is, uh, or he was, facing off with Brother, Brother Blood with the Titans. And this basically forces the whole uh, Batman-Clayface confrontation to go tits up and at the end of all this even though the whole uh the whole conflict is resolved batman fires robin he fires dick grayson says you know leave the costume you're done and that's the end of the first chapter and what i really like about this is that it sets the stage for everything and it starts off with uh the narration the narration is directly 
and it's pretty quickly established that it's a direct narration from Dick Grayson to Bruce Wayne, whether it's him talking to him directly uh, or whether it's like a message he leaves, we don't know at this point, but it sets the stage, it talks about his resentment towards Batman for treating him like a child, and really kind of sets the stage for him to jump into a new and exciting persona. Chapter 2 is might be my favorite chapter because uh, this focuses in Metropolis and on Dick Grayson's um, relationship with Clark Kent Superman. You all know how much of of a uh, Superman mark that I am. I love Superman. And his relationship with Dick Grayson is something that I don't think gets enough attention or is talked about enough because they're best friends. They're such good friends at times. They're even better friends than Clark and Bruce are. And I love this older brother, little brother uh, relationship that they have. And it's shown really well in this book. Um, There are a couple times where... uh, I actually laughed out loud reading through this uh, the first time, the numerous amounts of times I've read this since, and also for this time reading to get prepared for this uh, episode. And there is a scene here. I'll set the stage for you. So Dick Grayson goes to uh, the Daily Planet where he wants to get some advice from Clark on what to do next. He knows as someone who has made the jump going from Smallville to Metropolis as well as being an outsider, being an alien on Earth, that Clark may be one of the only people who really understands what he's going through. So he's going to Clark for advice. But this is orphan Dick Grayson showing up at the Daily Planet asking for Clark Kent. And immediately Lois Lane is like, I need information on this kid. Who is this kid? I know I know that name from somewhere. And she finds out after doing like some light research with her assistant, oh yeah, this is the kid who was adopted by Bruce Wayne. He was, you know, the kid whose parents died at the circus. Why is he going to visit Clark? So meanwhile, Dick and Clark are having this conversation on what to do next. Um, Lois busts in, right? And she's just like, oh, I didn't know you had a visitor. How do you know each other? And Dick Grayson just goes, hockey. Just just blurts out the first thing that comes to his mind. She's like, what? Clark Kent has never said anything about hockey. And we don't get time to process this because there is an attempt on the life of the president that uh, both Clark Kent and Dick Grayson immediately have to jump into action on. Uh, Superman disarms the first suicide bomber, but there is a second suicide bomber on an adjacent or a not adjacent, a parallel rooftop. And it's insinuated that he would basically be jumping to his death from this tall skyscraper uh, and blowing himself up on top of the uh, president's um, uh, limo or whatever. And Dick Grayson shows up, tackles the guy, gets the uh, vest off of him as the guy falls off the roof. Then Dick Grayson is like, oh crap, I now have this bomb vest, it's about to go off. So he jumps off of the roof. Superman, meanwhile, catches the second bomber and then goes up and catches Dick. Um, He's able to save the day, and the two of them have this conversation later on in the Fortress of Solitude, where uh, Clark is basically telling Dick Grayson that this old... uh, Kryptonian legend about this Kryptonian who was basically kicked out of his family and had to fly on his own, and he became a hero and protector of Krypton named 
Nightwing. And this is one of my favorite aspects of this character and of this relationship, because not a lot of people know where the Nightwing name comes from, and there's been all kinds of different ways that they've come to it in both the comics, in cartoons, and all this other stuff, but my favorite, um, my favorite origin of the name is that Dick gets it from Superman from this old tale about someone who is leaving to strike out on his own and fly on his own, and he takes the name from an old Kryptonian legend and becomes Nightwing, so that he is essentially being the best of both Batman and Superman, which is what his character has always been, and why I love him so much. Moving on. So they have this conversation, and then... Um, Dick Grayson immediately takes to the name. He's like, that's really cool. And so he, you know, is on his way. And then the final scene is uh, Clark and Lois in the uh, in the Daily Planet. And I'm going to read this to you. I just, I this might happen a couple times. I am going to read this dialogue straight from the page to you because it's so, so good. So Clark's in his office. Lois, Lois, you can tell, has been trying to figure out how Clark Kent is Superman. You can kind of tell that she knows, but she's trying to catch him in the act. And so she comes up to him and she says, so how did the Marauders do last night? And so she's trying to catch him uh, with the whole hockey lie with Dick Grayson just blurting out hockey and Clark Kent obviously not knowing anything about hockey. So, so how did the Marauders do last night? The Marauders? Oh, they lost two to one in sudden death. I think they could have tied if it. I think they could have tied it if Lefebvre wasn't in the box for high sticking. Really, really, Lois. The penalty on Lefebvre allowed Gotham a power play in the final minutes. You know very well what I mean, Kent. You really expect me to believe you're into hockey when you've never mentioned it before in your life? Why the sudden interest in me, Lois? Could you be looking for something more than a professional relationship? You and I have no relationship, professional or otherwise, Clark. I was interested in Dick Grayson. Bit young for you, isn't he? You, you, careful, Miss Lane. The planet is a family paper. <laughs> And it's just, it's so good. It's classic Superman. I didn't do that scene justice whatsoever. But I love that page and that interaction. And it's one of those things that you could easily see being the conclusion of like a Superman, uh, like a classic Superman episode from the uh George Reeves era where he you know gives a little wink to the camera and uh, Lois is frustrated and runs off so the uh, the actual I'm flipping through the book again and the actual ending of that story is uh, twofold so in one point the uh, at the Batcave Alfred has put up Dick Grayson's uh, Robin costume and Bruce is not having any of it he's he's a real dick in this book and I'm not talking about Grayson he is a true asshole and you could tell that Alfred is really fed up with uh with Batman and he's really upset that Batman fired Dick and sent him away so he puts up uh Dick Grayson's Robin costume in the cave and then you see that uh Grayson has gone back to Haley's circus where he stops a robbery and gets reintroduced to everyone which leads us into chapter three, where he's basically uh, trying to find his place. He's back at the circus. He's trying to retrace his roots, trying to get more in touch with himself and his family again. And it's here that he runs across Dead Man, Boston Brand, and uh, as well as his younger brother, Cleveland Brand, who has taken on the 
dead man persona in the in the uh, trapeze act at Haley's Circus. For those of you who don't know, Boston Brand and his brother Cleveland were part of the dead man uh, trapeze act after the Flying Graysons died, and Boston Brand was shot for a multitude of different reasons, but in most continuities, it was a mob kind of deal and uh boston brand kind of woke up in this limbo and now he's a ghost known as dead man so during this this chapter um dick grayson is trying to find his way through um basically trying to retrace his steps find who he is again and where he feels the most comfortable is in um is in the circus so he goes back looking for his old job back we see that he's um kind of in communication with his titans friends and you see him also talking to um dead man every so often except that dead man keeps possessing people because that's how he communicates he possesses people they talk to dick and then they kind of walk away meanwhile in gotham and i'm going to be reading this again because i love this uh alfred is calling donna troy who is wonder girl and part of the teen titans at the time asking about where dick is she won't tell him and so he goes down into the cave and finds a young lad with dark hair tied up in the middle of the cave he thinks it's dick turns the kid around and he is unrecognizable it's some new kid and i'm gonna read this just this quick exchange here um you know i'm gonna go for it. i'm gonna do alfred in an accent and uh batman's gonna be non-accent so it's just this exchange batman comes in finds this kid tied up in the bat cave who are you his name is jason todd i taught him trying or i caught him trying to steal the tires of the batmobile last night and do you intend to keep him? Like, I just love how Alfred is just like, he's, at all times, he's just had it with Batman's shit. At all times. And it's so good. Um, so this is, of course, uh, post-Batman finding Jason Todd trying to steal the wheels off the Batmobile. So this is kind of your B-plot during this story. So the A-plot is Dick Grayson becoming Nightwing. The B-plot is the rise of Jason Todd. First of first off, him being found in Crime Alley in this issue, and so on and so forth. So Dick Grayson kind of finds himself reconnecting with his family. He finds an old poster where his dad is wearing a very uh, Dead Man-esque costume. It's just all red, so he gets it done in all blue, which, as we know, provides the in kind of the inspiration for the disco wingsuit, and we kind of can forgive the disco wing in a modern setting which is what this is kind of being set up as uh nightwing's origin in a modern setting modern for 2005 at least um his disco wing costume being like a, a repurposed circus costume and so he eventually uh talks to boston brand dead man again once he possesses his brother cleveland telling him that he is able to find his own way that he knows what it's like to lose somebody and he's going to he's going to be watching over the circus while dick is gone because he knows that dick isn't going to stay around and dick grayson has already been inspired he went to the circus looking for a direction and it looks like he's found it so that kind of um wraps up chapter three chapter four is him returning to gotham and he's officially in a nightwing-esque costume it doesn't have all the little gold accoutrements of his original disco wing set yet 
but he is wearing his circus uniform. He's got the mask. He's got his weird gauntlets that he had in his initial um, disco wing costume. Shows up to Gordon to kind of reintroduce himself and let him know, hey, we know each other. I'm not just some random guy running across rooftops. I was Robin. We know each other. So there was that. And then he reunites with Batgirl and the two of them go out. And they, uh, they're they basically reacquainting everybody with or really introducing Nightwing to the criminal underworld with uh, respect to... Um, this being Nightwing's, basically his coming out party, his debut night. Basically him and Batgirl are running around Gotham, just breaking up crimes, fighting people, you know, putting them away. And at one point, um, I think it's hilarious, Batgirl has a motorcycle. Nightwing does not have a motorcycle. So he's riding passenger on uh, on Batgirl's motorcycle. They go get, they go through a drive-thru at one point. It's, it's amazing. It's hilarious. Um... But they, for a moment, you feel like they're going to kind of rekindle their past romance. But then Barbara brings up Starfire. And this is something I love. I love, love, love about stories like this. And if the Titans show is anything to go by, they're going to be able to do this. Is Nightwing existing in in an expanded universe. In a universe that encompasses many different properties so Batgirl knows about Starfire and I love that there's always kind of been that weird triangle even though they don't really know each other that being them being uh, Batgirl and Starfire of course Uh, but they've always kind of been pining for Dick Grayson's love and at different points in their lives he's been with one or the other um but she brings up she brings up Starfire. He, you know, recognizes that you're right. You know, Starfire and I have been kind of starting to get serious. So I'm gonna leave that as it is. Uh, meanwhile, we see that uh, Batman is getting ready to start Jason on the uh, on the path to being Robin. Jason has the suit. Uh, Batman has put in a little, like a little tracker into his utility belt, so he'll always be able to find him. And then this builds up the end of it. The end of this chapter is Batman and Robin, the new Robin, standing in front of the Bat computer, looking at all of the news from Nightwing's Night Out, where he basically the final uh, dialogue is between Batman and Robin. He says, "And then you face the gauntlet, your final test. Nothing fancy." Just a simple game of tag. And you get this idea that it's going to be Robin versus Nightwing. And the gauntlet is one of my favorite aspects of Robin. The gauntlet is, for those of you who don't know, uh, the gauntlet is this idea, this final test in the training for Robin. Every single Robin has gone through this at different points in time. Where once your training is complete, when you're Robin, uh, Batman sets you out for one night. One night, he sets you out on your own, and you have to evade him. The gauntlet is basically you have to escape Batman for an entire night until sunrise. If you make it and you're able to uh, get away from Batman, Batman isn't able to catch you before sunrise. You've passed the gauntlet. You're Robin now. So we've seen this in different iterations when it comes to Dick Grayson, um, Tim Drake, but we never really saw... The Jason Todd gauntlet. And so the final two chapters are basically the only uh, interconnected titles. Even though this is one overarching story, each chapter, well, chapters one through four can all kind of be seen as standalone stories. But chapter five and chapter six are 
essentially a two-part story where we are looking at the gauntlet. And so this story deals with Nightwing kind of on his own as well as Robin going through his gauntlet. And Robin is just the... I don't even know how to describe it. Jason Todd is someone who always thinks he's better than who he is and always thinks he's better than everyone else around him. And so young Jason Todd with Nightwing Dick Grace and those interactions are hilarious to me, especially because we now know with hindsight what Jason Todd ends up becoming with his whole Red Hood persona. So I love the interactions between Jason Todd and Dick Grayson here. Uh, Robin and Nightwing get a lot together and the gauntlet goes horribly wrong where um, essentially the gauntlet is supposed to be uh, typically Robin taking down Two-Face but of course Two-Face is played by Alfred and his muscle as well as his uh, driver is Batman. So along with Batman trying to quote-unquote capture Robin throughout this gauntlet, Robin also has to go up against Two-Face on his own. Seemingly. But during this whole thing, everything goes wrong. We also see that Killer Croc has made his debut in the uh, in the Gotham underworld here. And Two-Face, or Alfred as Two-Face, is spotted by some of his goons. They try to take him out to try and take control of his uh, slice of the pie, as it were. And I... Oh, it's so good. Um, Batman is incapacitated, which leaves... Essentially, Batgirl, Nightwing, and the new Robin to rescue Alfred, who is masquerading as Two-Face, from Killer Croc. And it goes just about as well as you think it would, especially because Dick Grayson has some really bad pent-up feelings with uh, Two-Face. Two-Face, at different points, has scared the crap out of Dick Grayson, has injured Dick Grayson. At one point, it was implied that he was the one who uh, hired... Tony Zuko to kill his parents and at another point he crippled Dick Grayson for a while uh, with his knee so Robin has a or uh, Dick Grayson Nightwing has a lot of pent-up feelings when it comes to Two-Face and so when they find him you know Alfred's just like oh thank god they're here and Nightwing just jumps at him to try and take him out but Jason is able to allow uh, cooler heads to prevail and they are able to subdue Killer Croc with all of them working together and then the ending of this Basically, you find out that all the narration through all six parts of this has been Nightwing talking or basically recording this cassette. And I love it. I love that even in the two, in 2005, they have him recording a cassette uh, that he gives to Batgirl to, for uh, Bruce to play. And it's you see throughout the story that he has been kind of keeping an eye on Dick. We find out that... Uh, Dead Man was sent by Bruce to keep an eye on him while he was at the circus. Um, Bruce was keeping in communication with Clark during this. And he was also keeping communication with Batgirl after their night out. And so you see that he's kept an eye on him during this whole process. And this narration through this story has been Dick telling Batman, It's okay. I'm going to be okay. I know you did the best you could, but it's time for us to go our separate ways, and I understand that. And so we see that Jason Todd is now Robin. He's going to be Robin for the foreseeable future. And Alfred has gifted a new costume for Nightwing to wear because his old uh, circus costume got a little tattered and you know cut up and blown up during the final chapter, during the, this gauntlet. So 
Dick Grayson opens up the briefcase, and of course, it's the Disco Wing costume. And basically, the difference between the Disco Wing costume and his year one costume is just the yellow trim. The yellow trim was really the only thing missing from it, and you see this really nice reason for that yellow trim to be there in the note that Alfred leaves with the costume, where Alfred basically talks about how you wore these colors with pride at a certain point in your life, and I sewed these in here to make sure that you don't forget what you where you come from. So the yellow trim on his disco wing costume is to represent the yellow cape that he wore as Robin, and I love that. I think it's incredible. And you see in the very final uh, panel, very final page of the story, him with the Teen Titans during the Judas Contract uh, story. So that is Nightwing Year One. I love this book. You really get to see Nightwing move into this, um, really into his be- becoming his own man, as we said in the intro, you know, going from sidekick to solo act. And I... I love this. I I have always been able to really relate to Dick Grayson as a person. I, you know, have never had what I would call the greatest um, connection with my uh, my father. If we're getting deep here, but I really understood where Dick was coming from during this story, where it's like you know they've never really been on the same page, but they respect each other and they know that no matter what, they're they want the best for each other and they know that they did the best that they could, regardless of whether they saw eye to eye on things or not. So. I always loved this story, and I'm glad that we have this. And there hasn't been like any kind of big reboot for it. I would love to see like if they ever did redo this story. You know, maybe a different author or a, a different artist, um, but keeping the same story beats. Um, no, no shade to the uh, to the artists and the art here, but it's you know I know it, it's divisive, and there's you know. Not everyone's cup of tea. But overall, I loved this story. I loved the journey from Robin to Dick Grayson to Nightwing. And I think if you enjoy these characters, if you enjoy the the Titans show, if you enjoy Dick Grayson as a character, if you enjoy coming-of-age stories, this is a story that you are going to want to read. This is a story you are going to want to pick up, whether it's in hard copy, which is incredibly hard to find, or through Comixology, which is incredibly easy uh, much easier to find than a hard copy and way less expensive as well. I would definitely give this book a shot. I love this story. The themes of going back to your roots, letting your past, or basically taking your past, understanding it, and allowing yourself to let go of the things that you resent, the things that have held you back to embrace an uncertain but exciting future. You know, I... I love the idea that eventually following this story, uh, Nightwing goes off and becomes a solo act in Bloodhaven, you know, leaving my family back in Arizona and coming out here to LA. I can absolutely relate to that, not knowing if it's going to work out, not knowing if I'm going to come back, you know, crying back to Arizona because I failed here. Like, that is a huge deal for me. And I... I read this story again, getting prepared to move out here, because I love the idea of the heroes that I grew up looking up to going through the same stuff that I go through. So 
if you like stories like that, if you've gone through uh, stuff like that, I don't want to get like super personal. I get personal sometimes on this podcast if you have listened to any of our episodes. But um, I love stories that I can relate to. I love stories that I can uh, latch onto a character or to a story beat or to a narrative arc that I can really, that I'm whether I'm going through it or I have gone through it, um, those are the stories that really speak to me. And this story really spoke to me at every single time that I've ever reread it. And I think it is absolutely worth your time. So that is it for the Geeksplain Spotlight for this month, Nightwing Year One. Um, I'll go through the creative team one more time. Let me pull it up here. Uh, written by Chuck Dixon, who is just a Nightwing fanatic. Uh, he was the main writer for the Nightwing book from, I want to say it was like 96 or 97, up until probably 2009. Different writers came and went, but Chuck Dixon's run is really the one that everybody remembers, uh, with art by Scott McDaniel and Andy Owens. So let me know what you thought of uh, Nightwing Year One. Have you read it? Are you going to read it? Um, are you interested in stories like this? Do you like Nightwing as a character? Do you think he should have stayed as Robin? You know, what do you think of Jason Todd as Robin? Um, and have you been watching Titans? I would love to have that conversation with you. Feel free to do so on either of our social medias or through email. And I would love to know if you've had a similar experience to this that can speak to the subject matter in this, whether you've, you know, moved out of your parents' house or you're jumping into a new career. We can all relate to, you know, jumping out on our own, hoping that our wings carry us as far as we can with no safety net underneath us. So what the story tells me and I think really tells its audience is that no matter what you do, no matter where you come from, your past is not your future. And even a lost bird can spread its wings and fly. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing episode six of The Boys, the live-action boys adaptation of the comic of the same name on Amazon Prime. We're working our way through it, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to get through this together. And this week we are... As I said, reviewing episode number six, titled The Innocence. And I kind of think that this episode should have been um, should have been titled Consequences, because I think that was the big theme of this week's episode. There was a lot that we saw happen here. So I'm going to try and cover all of it. Um, I've got my notes here. But I really think the theme about this episode was just that uh, actions have consequences, and all of the actions that we've seen up till this point resulted in the consequences of this episode. And of course, there's more consequences to come for more characters in the last two episodes, I'm assuming. But uh, right now, they're really focusing on some key characters, and we're going to talk about them right now. First off, um, Annie. 
Huey and Annie uh, had a really good story in this episode, and it's the idea that these two people, they're it's the star-crossed lovers cliche, that they're two people from warring sides who fall in love, and inevitably they're going to be pulled apart. But what I really liked in this episode is that it kind of gave you a, a look into how both of their mindsets are changing from their initial mindsets at the beginning of the season and how that's kind of making them question the side that they're on. Like Huey is seeing from Starlight that not all supers are awful, horrible people. And at the same time, Starlight is seeing that all the things that she might have wanted coming into this may not actually be the thing that she really wanted and that she is starting to question her place not just in the seven but in her world and i really really liked that um we also got to see the consequences for the deep uh the deep has been dealing with a lot and i could not be happier i am so glad that he is getting his comeuppance as slowly and as painfully as he is getting it uh, first off with dealing with all the stuff from Oceanland and the death of that dolphin he was trying to rescue, I guess, question mark. Um, now it's also coming out that he was the guy who sexually assaulted Annie. So he has to do a public apology. Uh, right after that, they we see that he is being kind of put on a sabbatical and he's being sent to like a midwest town a smaller market so that he can kind of uh rehab his image uh there's a there's a uh a scene later on in the episode where he's like filling up his tank for his way too big car and um somebody like throws a drink at him you know calling him some name and he just because he has a public image to rehab and uphold he's just like keep speaking your truth yeah, just, uh, and I, I'm glad, I'm really glad, because The Deep is a hot piece of garbage, and I am so excited for all the terrible things that are happening to him. That may sound cold, but it's just how I feel. Uh, we also got to see that at the same time that all of this stuff is happening, um, they Vought is in the process of making a documentary called Supers in America. And we're seeing footage from Homelander, from May, from A-Train, uh, from The Deep. And they're, I love the way that they introduce this into the uh, into the show because it's just a super cut of like all the intros and stuff and then at the very end it see it just says star it just shows starlight's logo and it says yet to be shot and then um a cameo from melrose from glow big fan of her she's hilarious and uh what she was basically she's the i'm assuming the director of this documentary so you see her interacting with some of the supers uh dealing with reshots and um just interacting with them she's very hands-on when it comes to the stuff with Maeve and with A-Train um you I don't know about you guys but I am starting to kind of feel bad for A-Train um you see that he's really hurting uh during this he kind of talks about how he's uh how he came up in teenage kicks and how he was a uh, a victim of gun violence at a very early age and i don't know the character's name so i'm just gonna call her melrose uh melrose is basically like hey let's just uh let's skip past the uh 
the gun violent stuff and get to uh, some more positive stuff. And you see that A-Train's like, what? but that's my, that's my life. All right, okay. And you see that he's slowing down. I don't know if that's uh, coming from... It's probably coming from, like, withdrawals from uh, the Compound V that he was shooting up. But you see him with his brother and him not able to, um, I guess, get his time or be as fast as he's supposed to be. And you see that it's really starting to bother him. And then Melrose brings up Popclaw. And remember, uh, Popclaw's relationship with A-Train was never publicly acknowledged. So no one really knows, except for the people who are in the know, that they were in a relationship. And so Melrose brings up, like, hey, uh, Popclaw died. You know, would you like to say something? And then she says, like, everyone says it was a seizure, but I think was a drug overdose and uh, A-Train has to, you see all of the pain in his face the act this actor is doing so good with this character giving him layers giving him levels and um, you see how much it breaks his heart to be like oh yeah well we, we haven't spoken in years so I don't really know what to tell you um, meanwhile while all this is going on uh, we're also getting a, uh, a kind of an inside look into superhero pop culture with like this weird like comic-con thing that's going on starring our boy Haley joel osmond playing mesmer he was a child actor who also had the power of i guess like telepathy through physical contact and so he parlayed that into a uh, leading acting role as a kid as the mesmerizer there are no secrets from me and you see him basically get like extorted by uh mm to helping them figure out the uh kind of the origin of the female and so we get to see kind of what fame does to supers after they've lost it which i really like Haley joel osmond is fantastic in this role Really good at being both likable and incredibly unlikable at the same time. Um, he's sad. He's a sad character. Uh, he wants to see his daughter, but his daughter grew up without him. And all this stuff, he lost custody. So we get to see him kind of be manipulated by uh, Butcher and M.M. to really uh, get into the origin of the female. And you find out initially you think that she's like a terrorist. Then you find out she was conscripted into the uh, terrorist army, that she was captured and taken with her brother, and that she managed to escape. She was shot up with Compound V, and she just wants to get back to her brother. And you find out that her real name is Kimiko. And I don't really remember if they ever mentioned her real name in the comic like I said, it's been a long time. But um, I like that we're diving more into her character. She still really hasn't spoken, but we now know her impetus. We know what her motivation is. We know how she got the Compound V, why she's a super. And then we know, you know, we really get to see her connect with Frenchie even more than both being immigrants in a way. And so really like that stuff but the big big stars of this were of course our two big leads for the show which were homelander and billy butcher uh, i'll tackle homelander first he got some real good scenes in this episode like he does with every episode uh anthony Starr is just killing it as this character uh they go back to a very smallville-esque uh Ma and Pa Kent farmhouse that has been, as we find out later, completely just fabricated. Like, this isn't his house. This isn't where he grew up. The pictures aren't of him or his parents. They're just completely fabricated to uh, tell this lie that 
we've been told throughout this entire um and really the public has been told throughout this entire narrative and at one point like he sees a blanket in his quote-unquote uh old bedroom and it really sets him off and you find out that it's because this blanket was the only thing that he had when he was a baby when he was a child and we get like a quick cut to like him being in this lab and you see scientists like doing tests on him and it's really sad it's like really really sad and uh, we also get a little bit of development with his weird relationship with Stillwell because after he freaks out about the blanket he steps away and Stillwell basically like promises him like sexual favors if he'll finish this documentary it's weird their relationship is still really weird and edipal and i just don't know how to feel about it i'm sure we're gonna get some kind of comeuppance uh or some kind of clarity on what their relationship is going to be by the end of this. But for now, it's just a really weird place. But Anthony Starr doing great. Homelander is still one of the most interesting and complex characters in the show. And then we finally get some background on Billy Butcher. It's Like I said before, it's been a while since I've watched this show. And I completely forgot about the reason that he does what he does and it seems ah man there's just so much to this you really get a sense of who he is because you find that um at least the way that i took it billy's starting to realize that huey might be losing faith in the cause so he takes him to this uh support group for victims of collateral damage when it comes to superheroes and what he goes through like you see all these people who have really like had a hard time and you see that this could possibly be a really good place for huey to be but billy tour turns the whole experience on its head when he basically tells everyone that like this isn't collateral damage supers supers suck and you are all uh worse off and you're cowards for not doing something about it following that uh, Billy takes Huey to this park bench and he reveals that Homelander raped his wife and that the last time that uh, she was seen by anybody was by on a uh, CCTV security cam on this bench before she disappeared. And he doesn't know if she's alive or if she's dead. He wants to believe that she's alive, but he thinks that Homelander might know something about her. And so his whole, we find out his whole deal with this, why he hates supers, why we've been going through all this is because Homelander potentially raped and killed his wife. And so it's finally giving Huey, or uh, not Huey, Billy, something to do besides growl and uh, be a leader. We finally get a little bit of vulnerability from him. But then, of course, that gets turned on its head again at the very end where uh, Huey and Annie are at a bar and Billy shows up. Uh, Huey has more or less kept his relationship with Annie secret from the group, but now we know that Billy knows about it, and he threatens to tell Annie that Huey was the one who killed um, uh, Translucent, and so that's going to flip the whole thing on it on just uh on huey to ruin their relationship and things are gonna go down so i'm really looking forward to these uh final two episodes looking forward to exactly what's gonna happen with these characters at some point you know annie is gonna find out and we don't know what we're she's gonna do to huey or anyone else at that point so 
I really enjoyed it. Really good episode, pushing the story forward once again while also giving us some really good backstory for Homelander and for um, Butcher. So let me know what you think about this. Have you been watching it? Have you already finished it? Have you been watching it with me? Uh, I would love if you've been watching it with me, but I understand if you want to uh, binge the whole thing since it is there. But we are just... uh, two episodes away. I'm really, really excited. I'm looking forward to next week, uh, looking at episode number seven. But for now, let's jump on over to this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should be taking a look at. We're going to talk about each book's title, the creative team behind each book, as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you would like to request that I try out, feel free to do so on either of our social medias, at Geeksplain pod that's at geeksplained pod or through email because i'm an old man i still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com we have one two three four five six seven eight nine books for you this week ladies and gentlemen but first before we get to this week we gotta take a look back at last week for the geeksplained pick of the week of last week and last week had some really good books we had the debut of king thor number one we had powers of ten number four as well as young justice number eight We had some really good books, but the book that stood for me, head and shoulders above the rest, was actually Batman Universe number three of six. Surprising, I know, because as most of you know who have been listening, uh, I have been nothing if not critical of uh, Brian Michael Bendis' DC run so far, but Batman Universe has continued to surprise me with how good it actually is. Light spoilers, I want you to pick up this book because it is worth your time, but uh, kind of picking up off of the cliffhanger from the issue from the previous issue where Batman showed up on Thanagar, uh, we do see the uh, fallout from Batman showing up on an alien planet unannounced, as well as him officially teaming up with Hal Jordan. The Hal Jordan-Batman relationship, to me, is just so fun. It is one of my favorite relationships in the Justice League, and Batman does a lot in this book uh he continues to be really fun we get a uh, return to a famous dc locale that being dinosaur island and there's a really funny uh exchange between batman and hal jordan when they get to dinosaur island where batman goes i love dinosaur or i love dinosaurs and hal jordan goes you love dinosaurs and batman goes i have a dinosaur in my cave and you just think to yourself yeah he does have a dinosaur in his cave. So I guess that would make sense that he loves dinosaurs. It is just so dumb and so funny. And this is the stuff that I was really looking forward to with Brian Michael Bendis jumping over to DC was these introspective looks at characters that uh, we all know and love and really recontextualizing all of their 
minor quirks to get us more depth with these characters. And while I don't, I still don't think he's done that with Superman, with Batman at least, uh, he's been doing really good work. So I'm really, really a big fan of Batman Universe. If you haven't picked up the first three issues, definitely do so. It's only a six-issue miniseries, and you've got three more issues to read after this. But that was last week. Let's talk about this week, starting off with Nightwing number 64, written by Dan Jurgens with art by Bruno Redondo. Um, this book picked up, I will say, this book has picked up with uh, the return of the Court of Owls and specifically their talons attacking this new Nightwing group. Um, I'll probably continue with this book for a little while longer because I'm really interested in seeing where they go with this. Uh, they've actually given Rick Grayson a super suit of a sort so that he fits in a little bit better with the aesthetic of the Nightwing team. And I'm really interested to see if, you know, the court is able to sway uh, Rick Grayson over in the way that they weren't able to with Dick Grayson. Let's jump into the synopsis here. Bloodhaven explodes in violence as a riot erupts in the streets. Rick can't face this alone, so he'll have to enlist the support of the Nightwings. Meanwhile, Talon has taken B captive to lure Rick into his grasp and reintroduce him, for the first time in Rick's memory, to the Court of Owls. So I've always loved the Court of Owls as, you know, just a concept. Uh, they're one of the big mainstays from Scott Snyder's run in the New 52 on Batman. And I love how Dick Grayson's history was kind of folded into them. So I'll definitely be picking this up. And if you're interested in those characters and that concept, uh, definitely take a look at this as well. Next up, we have History of the Marvel Universe, number three of six, written by Mark Wade with art by Javier Rodriguez. Um, this has been a great encyclopedia story for uh, those of you who want to get caught up on Marvel. If you want to have like a definitive um, timeline for the events that happen here, at least in the way that Marvel is currently looking at it with Mark Wade as kind of our architect of the current continuity. Um, definitely take a look at this. A lot of people have said that I uh, act as like their encyclopedia for <laughs> different comic book stuff. If they're like, oh, I have a question about this. You know what? Eric probably knows. Um, this is a really good thing to have for you just as like a reference guide. I'm sure this is going to come out on its own as like the full six-part thing. But if you're interested in looking at the history of the Marvel Universe step-by-step, age-by-age, era-by-era, this is a really good book to pick up. And it's got a lot of great anecdotes and little uh, trivia in there as well. So uh, let's jump into the synopsis here. From the Fantastic Four to the death of Phoenix, witness the awe and majesty of the beginnings of the modern Marvel Universe. So last issue dealt a lot with uh, the Invaders, Captain America, leading up to that stuff. This issue, I think, is going to really get us right at uh, the 60s, as known as the heroic age for Marvel. Uh, as you heard in the uh, in the little synopsis, we're going to get X-Men, we're going to get Fantastic Four, probably Avengers, as well as Spider-Man. So I'm really looking forward to this. Next up, we have Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen, number three of 12, written by Matt Fraction with Steve Lieber. This is just a great book. It's so, so good. If you like quirkier stories with um, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek uh, narration and 
overall narrative. Uh, this is a fantastic book. It's off the beaten path, which is right up Matt Fraction's alley. Uh, he's the guy who was the scribe for the critically acclaimed Hawkeye series. And having Steve Lieber on art really gives it an old-timey, um, I would say, similar to like a Darwin Cook or a Chris Somney look. A little bit cartoony, a little bit classic, but really, really good. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today in this catalog to remember our friend, Superman's pal, the late Jimmy Olsen's assassination decoy. Wait, somebody killed Jim Jimmy's decoy body? But who done it? And like, why done it? And wait, when did Jimmy get a decoy of himself? What we do know is it's not safe for Jimmy in the city of tomorrow anymore. And with Superman busy and all... You read that Superman number 15 solicit yet? Jimmy's best bet is to solve his own murder within the safe borders of Gotham City. Seriously? Safe? So, as you can tell in the synopsis, lots of tongue-in-cheek stuff. Um, the first issue gave us that cliffhanger of Jimmy Olsen kind of faking his death. And so, this book has just been a fantastic ride all the way through. And it's still early on, so this is the time to jump on. Next up, to uh, kind of counteract that to balance that out with the beginning of a limited series to near the end of a limited series we have dead man logan number 11 of 12 written by ed brisson with art by mike henderson and covers by dicklin shelvey because i love his art so much um this has been so good this is the penultimate issue of the series the series has been so 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 good so far and i've been really really loving it let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here the penultimate entry in Dead Man Logan's story. You think you know, but you have no idea what's coming. Follow the series that has critics raving, a shockingly well-constructed farewell, comic watch, violent fun from Comics The Gathering, and a masterpiece by YouDon'tReadComics.com. So this book has just been incredible so far. A wonderful Western tale about a man uh, reaching the end of his life and trying to uh, dot his I's and cross his T's before he goes. This has been so good, and you need to pick this up. Next up, we have Batman number 79, written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. This is the conclusion of the two-part interlude between... Uh, the Rise of Bane and the City of Bane. So we are heading into the final act. This is our little prologue heading into the final uh, six issues, I guess. Batman 80 through Batman 85 of the Tom King Batman run. Uh, the first issue of this interlude really felt exactly what it was. Uh, kind of like a filler getting them together again. They're addressing their relationship and all that stuff. And uh, this issue looks like it's going to set the stage for Batman's return to Gotham City. So let's jump into the synopsis here. In the concluding chapter of the two-part City of Bane interlude, Batman and Catwoman pull a job to stop Bane's supply ship from smuggling dangerous cargo into Gotham City. It'll send a message back to the big guy that his reign of terror is soon to be over. But what does it also signal for the future of Bruce and Selina? So I still have the theory that they're going to get married uh, <laughs> post um, City of Bane and probably somewhere in the Batcat book uh, that features the official comics debut of Mask of the Phantasm. So 
I'm really excited, really looking forward to this book, and uh, I would say pick it up. Next up, we have Absolute Carnage, number three of four, written by Donnie Cates with art by Ryan Stegman. This book's just been really good. <laughs> I will admit that I haven't been reading the Donnie Cates Venom book. I'm waiting until it gets a little bit further along and I can just start picking up trades. But this book has been really, really good. A really great um Venom Spider-Man team-up event book, and I've been really enjoying it. So let's jump into the synopsis here. The summer of slaughter continues after the harrowing events at the end of Absolute Carnage number two. Venom and Spider-Man have to deal with the hard truth that not everybody will make it out of this conflict in one piece. If they make it out at all, that is. As Carnage continues to amass strength and allies, Venom and Spider-Man realize that the only way to beat him is to do the same. So, yeah, we're gearing up for that final issue of Absolute Carnage. Been really enjoying the main book so far. I haven't been picking up any of the uh, tie-ins just because I'm not as committed to those as I am to the main book. But uh, it's been really good so far, and I definitely recommend it. Next up, we have Justice League, number 32, written by James Tynan IV, with art by Howard Porter, Francis Manipole, and uh, George Jim. Jimenez, uh, also co-written by Scott Snyder. Really good so far. Justice Do More has been fantastic. And the Justice Society is in this book. What more do you need from this book? Uh, been so good so far. I've been really enjoying it. So let's jump into the synopsis here. The Justice Do More Part 3. Things are getting dangerous across the time stream. On one side of time, the Justice League team finds heroic purpose. On the other, it's a future full of chaos and trial. It's the totality in action. If they can't stop Lex's legion across all fronts, there may be only one other option. Embrace Doom. So, yeah, been really enjoying it so far. I love the uh, parallel stories that are going on with some of the Justice League in the past, some of them in the future, and then the remaining leaguers left to defend their way home in the present. Uh, and, of course, it's just a society, so I'm going to be picking this up, period. Uh, next up, we have House of X, number five of six. I know what you're thinking. This isn't the big book? This isn't the big book of the week? Just wait, we're getting there. Uh, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Pepe Labraz. Um, I was, I guess, uh, I was underwhelmed by uh, Powers of Ten, number four. So I'm hoping that this book kind of gets us back on the path. I really wanted to know what happens next after the suicide mission uh, at the... Uh, mother mold so this book hopefully will bring us back to that point has apocalypse on the cover so he might be making his modern day debut in the story we saw him in the future of more ninth life so i'm really looking forward to seeing what he does here so let's jump into the synopsis here xavier's dream turns deadly for some of his students as they fight back against the humans plan to eliminate them the future of the x-men begins here so yeah, pretty straightforward. Uh, we're going to see exactly what they do next. We got the big uh, leadoff on House of X number four of Xavier getting sick and tired of being sick and tired and of 
mutants being slaughtered all over the place. So I'm really excited to see what they do here. But the big book of the week for me, ladies and gentlemen, is Flash Forward number one of six. Written by Scott Lobdell with art by Brett Booth and covers by the incomparable Doc Evan Shader. Um, this is the book I've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, we talked about it in the news segment months ago when they first announced it. Uh, it's Wally West. Wally West finally has his own solo book, even if it is only a limited series. If you love this character, if you want this character to succeed more than DC Comics does, pick this book up. It needs to be seen. It needs to be seen. Um, I'm really excited about it. Really excited about them uh, pursuing what they're going to do with Wally West, and hopefully this leads into more great stuff for him. So let's jump into the synopsis here. His name is Wally West, and he was the fastest man alive. That is, until the multiverse was rewritten without him or his family in it. Wally returned and tried to make it work, but the damage was done. Spitting out of the events of Heroes in Crisis, follow the man who called himself Flash on an adventure to find redemption in a cosmos that has fought so hard to destroy him. So, um, funny voice aside, like that is a great synopsis. We're going to see uh, Wally diving into the multiverse. Uh, we've seen different solicits for uh, future issues of this book that show him in the dark multiverse. He's going to be traveling around. We saw um, a book about him traveling to an earth where everybody's vampires and Roy Harper is a vampire hunter. I'm really excited for this book. You need to pick this book up, if nothing else, than to see Wally West succeed and hopefully get a better um, lot in life following whatever this book has in store for him. And that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Nightwing number 64, History of the Marvel Universe number 3 of 6, Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen number 3 of 12, Death Man Logan, number 11 of 12. Batman, number 79. Absolute Carnage, number 3 of 4. Justice League, number 32. House of X, number 5 of 6. And Flash Forward, number 1 of 6. If I missed any books, feel free to let me know. I would love to uh, discover new books. If there are any books I missed, I'm, I'm just going to address it here. Uh, there are two books on this list that you heard mention and my, you might be surprised are absent from this. Superman number 15 uh, is basically like the prelude to um, Legion of Superheroes. I just, I can't bring myself to pick up Superman. Um, I just, I fell off that book and I really haven't been able to jump back on it. I will be jumping into Legion of Superheroes. I'm really excited for that book and I'm going to be picking up uh, Millennium uh, number two, which is like the concluding chapter of the two-part lead-in. But that's not on this list this week. And then also uh, Spider-Man number one by uh, the Abrams as well as Sarah Pacelli. J.J. Uh, Abrams and his son Henry Abrams have um, used their nepotism magic to get themselves a book. I have not heard very good things about it. I'm not going to be picking it up. I'm not interested in that story. Uh, the Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley book has been fantastic. I finally got caught up with the uh, th first three initial trades i think uh three or four initial trades and i am catching up in single issues from issue 24 up to here so 
I've been really enjoying it. That's all the Spider-Man I need, as well as, of course, Superior Spider-Man and Miles Morales. I don't need another Spider-Book, and I'm not really interested in what they have to offer for the solicits for it. If you want to pick it up, feel free, read it, let me know what you think. I would be interested to uh, find out exactly what this book's about, but I won't be personally picking it up. That all out of the way. Disclaimer out of the way. Um, Looking forward to more comics uh, next week, I'm really excited about Flash Forward, guys. Like, really, really looking forward to it. Uh, House of X has been fantastic. Batman is incredible. And I cannot wait to crack open Flash Forward number one and see just how Wally West fixes the DC Universe. And that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you have listened all the way up to this point, I really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Uh, Also, feel free to give us a review and uh, star rating on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. Uh, Really puts us out there to attract more listeners just like you. So feel free to do that. Feel free to review us on any platform, really. But the iTunes one really helps us out with with their algorithm and pushing podcasts out really, really helps us out a lot. Uh, We do have one question for the mailbag this week um, from Carla in, what does this say? Uh, South Carolina. Thank you, Carla, for writing into our mailbag. Um, Let me pull up the letter here. And it seems pretty, pretty simple. Um, Pretty simple. It says, what is your perfect Titans team? And I'm assuming what she means by that is, like, what's the Titans team that I would live or die by, what I would think would make a really good book. Um, So thank you, Carla, for writing in. I am going to go through that. I've been thinking about it. And uh, it's a pretty simple team. And it's a team that uh, has potential to show up in the Titans show. Uh, A lot of hype around the second season so far. I've heard that the second episode is good, uh, that it mentioned uh, Roy Harper. So excited for the possibility of that. Um, But my team, my team is pretty simple. Um, Dick Grayson, Nightwing in there, of course. Uh, Roy Harper, whether he's Arsenal, Speedy, or Red Arrow, what have you. Donna Troy, uh, whether she's Wonder Girl, Troya, whatever. Kid Flash, uh, or The Flash, however you want to call him, Wally West. Um, Garth, the uh, the Aqualad or Tempest, and then I sometimes the I went back and forth on these last two because I wanted to either put in um, Starfire on this or alternatively, and I think uh, could be a really uh, could be a really interesting look into um, having this character on the team because this character doesn't really show up on a Titans roster very often, Kyle Rayner. I really like the idea of having Kyle Rayner on a kind of an adult Titans team. They had him show up at the very end of this most recent Titans book, which uh, just, I think, really fell apart after they got rid of the major players from the book. But that would be my team. Um, I would almost just have both of them on there. So my roster would be uh, Nightwing, Arsenal... Wally West Flash, Troya, Tempest, Starfire, and Green Lantern Kyle Rayner. Um, I love that team, and I think that team, if you put them in a book, uh, who would I have write that? Uh, Jeff Johns would be a great 
great choice, I think. He's been killing it on Doomsday Clock. Also beginning ready to release three Jokers if that ever comes out. Uh, he's been doing a lot trying to kind of revamp his place in DC Comics. So I think he would do really well. For art, I'd love uh, like a Doc Shader or a Chris Somney on it. I think they would do magic on that book, though I would be totally okay if we got like a Mitch Jareds or a Clay Mann on that book as well. So that is my perfect Titans team. I think there's a lot of stories you can tell with them, especially with pretty much all of them except for Starfire being legacy characters. Um, maybe also talking about Starfire, you know, feeling like she's the one that doesn't fit in because she's not a legacy character and the whole alien aspect I think would be really interesting. So thank you to Carla for writing in for that. I really appreciate it. Uh, feel free to write in your questions, whether they be to our email, because I'm an old man, I still read emails, to geeksplained at gmail.com or through either of our social medias on uh, I, uh, Instagram or Twitter to at GeeksplainPod. That's at GeeksplainPod. Whether you have a question about comics, about uh, comic book films, about me, if you want my opinion on something, uh, feel free to ask whether you want to DM us or to just tweet at us. Uh, feel free to do so. I love talking to you guys and answering questions, starting conversations and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, feel free to do that. Next week, next week is our big 75th episode, episode number 75. We are that much closer to episode 100, and I am pleased to announce that our episode 75 is going to be a full history lesson on the Justice Society. Ah, I'm really excited to talk about this. Um, Justice Society, as you know, is one of my favorite topics. It is my personal favorite team in DC Comics, possibly all of comics. And I'm really excited to talk about their history, the members, uh, where you can find them in comics right now, as well as giving you some recommended reading for comics to check out the team. So... Look forward to that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. And for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Gazana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you.